We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In a world of danger, difficulty, and despair, it is vital that our minds be tied to the one who rules over heaven and earth. The Lord's people, regardless of their whereabouts, always, always, always have a helper in the God of heaven and earth, no matter where they are. Psalms 120 through 134 is what we would call songs of ascent. I'm going to start to say descent. There is a descending happening as well. But Psalms of Ascent, the title in your Bible is called a Song of Degree. The word degree simply means steps. It's the, it's the idea of singing while you're going. On an upward movement, so to speak, it's kind of like a procession. When I was younger, my, when my great-grandmother died, I remember very little other than I used to eat Rice Krispies all the time. So, but when she died, when she passed away, churches used to have cemeteries on the property. And so they would come out of the church building with the casket and the ladies would be dressed in white and they would be singing a song as they head, headed to the cemetery soon and very soon. We are going to see the king. It was a procession they sung as they were going along. This is the, the idea. It's a singing as you're stepping, singing as you're walking. It has been, you know, suggested that the children of Israel may be taking a journey up to Jerusalem. A song of ascent. Singing as they're going to church. That's a good thing. We should actually do that. We should actually try that. And we're not doing that. Singing on your way to the house of the Lord, not simply waiting till you get to the house of the Lord to sing. Could be when they would take their pilgrimage, it would be mostly the men. When they would have the, the, the feast, the different feasts they had, the feast of unleavened bread, the feast of weeks or Pentecost, we would call it, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And so that would be this idea of singing as they went up to the house of the Lord. But the psalmist, whomever it is, we don't know. On occasion, could be the ones I just gave, says something interesting starting the psalm off. He said, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hill from which cometh my help. He tells us, first of all, he's lifting, he's raising his eyes up to the hills from where his help comes. Now, this particular verse poses a problem for scholars and interpreters. And you may ask, why? Well, I'll tell you for a couple of reasons. Because it begs the question where is the individual looking for help? Where? 
It seems simple on the surface when he said, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hill from which cometh my help. Is he looking to the hills or somewhere else? The answers to the questions will depend really on what is meant by hills or the activities surrounding the hills. Stick with me a little bit. So some commentators, scholars, agree that this particular verse should be framed as a question rather than a statement. You don't have it as a question in your Bible. He said, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help, period. Some argue that this should be a question. They say it should read something like this. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. Where will my help come from? Stay with me. One reason for this is because of the word whence. (laughs) One word. It's because of the word whence. The word whence generally begs a question. It asks a question. It is a question, if you will. Where? can even be when. I'll give you an example of this real quick. When God spoke to Hagar, he said, Whence camest thou? It's a question. And whither would thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. Genesis chapter 16, verse 8. Another example we find in Job chapter 1. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? Satan has an answer. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. I've been everywhere, if you will. Job 1.7. So some commentators, some scholars think this should be framed as a question. Well, most of the time, that's how the word is used. That's a question. And they may be right. I don't know. Another reason for framing it as a question is because the hills were seen as a place of idolatrous practices. You can see why they would say it should be a question. The word of God says this right here, ye shall utterly destroy, ye shall utterly destroy, <clears throat> excuse me, all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess serve their gods, listen, upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. You can see why they said it should be a question because the help doesn't come from the hills, idolatrous practices are on the hills. Others think it should read this way. Wouldn't it be good just to have one view? Not when it comes to the scriptures, y'all. Others think it should read this way. I will look above the hill from which comes my help. Now, that's not in your version anywhere. I will look above the hill from which comes my help. They are not viewing it as a question. They are just modifying the statement. That's what they're doing. Now, I don't don't think scholars 
not at least some scholars. I don't, I, well, I don't think all scholars are trying to just undermine the word of God. I don't think they're doing that at all. Some are, but I don't think that's their, that's their reason. I, but I do think that our theological systems shape the way we view the scriptures. Are you listening? I think our theological systems shape the way we view the scriptures instead of the scriptures shaping the way we view our theological systems. That's what I think happened. Everyone comes to the Bible and read it a certain way. And when a scripture doesn't fit in the concept of our theological system, we want to take the scripture in a different direction. We can't do that. The scriptures have to stand on his two legs. Even if it knocks down our system. The word has to stand. Even if it shakes us up. So I think we can understand why they would modify the statement. Since one's help does not come from the mountain or the hills. If we just read it at face value, he said... I will look unto the hills from which comes my help without getting verse 2. He answers the question or a statement, if it's a question. Doesn't come from the hills and it doesn't come from the mountains. Have I think the statement given in our text? Listen, it's fine the way it is. Have one said a question, have another says it's a modified statement. We're modified, we're looking above the hills not the hills themselves. But that's not what the psalmist said. I will look unto the hills, is what he said. The hills. But I think the statement is fine the way it is, so I will go out on a limb. And I'll tell you why I think it's that way. Since this is one of the psalms, right, of ascent, the psalmist and those, because he starts off by speaking in first person. The psalmist and those, before he moves to second person singular, the psalmist and those accompany him would be making their voyage to Jerusalem. All right? Stick with me. They would be traveling. If this one of the feasts they are going to, they would be traveling to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. Let me see if I can paint that, give, give an, give an illustration, kind of uh, see if I can clarify that a little bit. Pensacola is about 100 feet above sea level. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. If you have traveled down Interstate 110, and you've looked over at PCC, you've probably seen that PCC water tower. That's probably about 150 feet. That's still pretty up there. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. Let's see if I could give it another way. The Empire State Building is about 1,400 feet tall. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. Everywhere you look, no matter where you were, you could see Jerusalem. It will be not down, but up. Now, why am I saying that? Wherever one was located, 
went to Jerusalem. He went up to Jerusalem. You never went down to Jerusalem. You went up to Jerusalem. King Cyrus says that you know that pagan king when he permitted the Jews to go and build a temple that was destroyed by the Chaldeans said, who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. Listen, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. Ezra 1, 3. Psalm 22, 122 says something like this. I was glad when this said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, whether the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord unto the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. Keep in mind, Jerusalem, 2,500 feet above sea level, you went up to Jerusalem. I'm saying that for a reason. Therefore, I think the psalmist is saying, my eyes are towards the hills because Jerusalem is located on hills. Now, why am I saying that? Jerusalem is located on hill. Two triangle shaped ridges or hill. That's what it's located on. So I think he's, he's saying, my eyes are towards the hill, as the text says. I'm looking towards the hill from which cometh my hell. Jerusalem is the place where the temple is located. The temple is located in Jerusalem. Up high, we're going up to Jerusalem. It sits on the hills. Jerusalem is the place where the Ark of the Covenant is located. Not only the temple located, but the Ark of the Covenant is located. Jerusalem is the place where the sacrifices are offered. Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place of God's presence, protection, and glory. He's looking to the hills. I think the statement is just fine. We don't have to turn it into a question. We don't have to modify it. I think the psalmist knows exactly what he's talking about. What are you saying, Clarence? I'm saying the psalmist is looking to the hills because he understands we're going up to worship and that's where God is dwelling. I'm looking to the hills. The Jews saw it as the place where the Lord dwelt. That's how they viewed it. Listen to this. Blessed be the Lord God out of Zion, which dwelleth at Jerusalem. You hear the language? Blessed be the Lord God out of Zion. He dwells in Jerusalem. I'm looking to the hills. Praise ye the Lord. Psalm 135, Jerusalem was the life of Israel because it was the place of worship. 
And they have all these buildings. You go to First Baptist over here, and you can go to Second Baptist over here, and you can go to First Presbyterian over here. They didn't have that. And you wanted to worship other than your home. You went up to Jerusalem. I think they would shout, oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king. Talking about psalm of ascent. Here are the things they will be saying, going up to the house of the Lord, worship before worship. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. They went to worship. They went to worship. So not only... We have the place of the help. It's the hill. It's where Jerusalem is. It's where they viewed God to dwell, his dwelling place. But now let's see God as our helper. By the way, we're talking about the Lord, our helper. Notice something else in the psalm. He's lifting up his eyes. I'm heading toward Jerusalem. That's where God is dwelling. And notice the picture without him even saying it. We're going to meet with God. That's what we're going to do. Our eyes are toward worship. He said, my help. My help comes from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He tells us not only the place, I think, of the help. I'm headed to the hills, Jerusalem. I think that's where the Lord dwells. He said, but my help, my help, it gets personal. My help comes from the Lord. Really, my help from the Lord. You can see where the translators inserted that verb. But my help from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He sets the record straight so that there is no confusion about what he's talking about. The Lord is my helper. He tells us that he is referred to. He tells us the help he referred to in verse 1 is none other than the Lord of heaven and earth. I'm talking about the one who made the hills. He said, I am not referring, I am not referring to the gods of the heathen nations. That's not what I'm talking about. The inventions of men's minds. Nope, now I'm not looking to images of wood, silver, or gold, or any such thing. My help comes from the Lord. But you will notice what's implied in the text, that the psalmist need help. He need, he need, it's implied in the passage. If my help comes from the Lord, I'm one in need of help. It could be dangerous 
walking up to Jerusalem. Be challenging walking up to Jerusalem. He makes it clear that he's talking about the creator and the owner of all things. The Lord of heaven and earth. So by this statement, he's telling us that God is God over all. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Oh, what do we have to fear? Our help comes from the one who made everything. Everything. Do we realize that? I know we read it in our Bibles, but do we actually realize that? Have we took it in that our God made everything? Everything. Children, he made everything. We get to see that sun. Shouldn't stay at it long. We get to see that sun. God made it. We get to see the moonlight. God made it. We get to see the stars. God made it. We get to observe the things that God has made. And you have to just hold your head. Or maybe I'm just a child at heart, so to speak. And I just, wow, how did you do that? I want to ask those questions. How did you do that? How did you do it? I know you did it, but how did you do it? (laughs) I have to come up with things. And you have to come up with things. And you need tools to work. But God does it with nothing. Nothing. Never took an art class, and yet look at the colors on a peacock. It just blows your mind. Ah, I saw, I saw something funny. I was coming down Jackson, I think it was yesterday, and I saw a big dog. It was on the, it was on the fence doing like this. I said, how does the dog know to scratch his back? Just scratch up and down. I said, how does it know to do that? God put it in there. That's why. That's amazing. We behold his beauty, the one who created heaven and earth and all there is. And we get to enjoy that creation. Even get to eat some of it. (laughs) What a glorious God. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob, listen, for his help. Whose hope is in the Lord, his God who made heaven and earth. They don't want us to lose that. The psalmist does not want us to lose that. He wants us to see that God indeed is the true and rightful creator of all things. And because he is, we should bow to him as his creatures. Ah. One more, Hosea 13 says, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. Thou hast destroyed thyself, but. When you see a but in the scripture, just think about it this way. It just takes us in a different direction. You have destroyed yourself, but. 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 Listen to what God said. But in me is thine help. Do <laughs> you see? Self-destruction, but here's mercy. You have destroyed yourself, but in me and so your help, oh, we were, we were all at that point of time. We lived for self by destroying ourselves. Then help came. Help from above came. God showed up, as I've said before, unannounced, unexpected, and uninvited. 
We were helpless, but help came. We were held bound, but help came. We were under the influence and power of darkness, but help came in Jesus Christ. Psalmist's help comes from the Lord, and our help comes from the same place. Notice something. I told you again, I'll say it one more time. The psalmist is personal in this. He said, my help. We should say the same thing. Our help, our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. It's my helper because I need help. It's our helper because we need help. And it comes from the Lord because he has all power to help. Now he goes on. He says something else in verse 3. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Not only is God our helper, God is also our keeper. He's our helper because we need it, because we need him. But he's also our keeper. The Lord is pictured here as a, as a keeper. The psalmist switches from I, as we saw, to my, to your and you. Look at it. He will not suffer your foot. We don't have a clue on who he's talking to. Maybe it's that company he's with. He will not suffer your foot. It's almost like when he said, I will lift up the, my heels, uh, my eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. And another group said, my help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He said, he will not suffer your foot to, <laughs> your foot to be moved. He is a keeper. He switches. It could be, as I said, he's speaking to fellow travelers, a group who knows. But one thing is for sure. God is not only a helper, but they view God as also a keeper, not only a keeper of an individual, but a keeper also of a group. We look at God keeping us individually, but you also look to God to keep you as a congregation, as a group. I think that's what the psalmist is doing here. He, he switches up on us purposely and is beautiful. You, he is your keeper. He talks to you individually. We have this in the Ten Commandments. You ever wonder why I've said thou shall not? And it didn't, it didn't just say ye shall not, as the King James translators try to make that distinction. Thou shall not. Serve any other gods. Why would God say it that way? Because I'm talking to you, 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 and you. That's why. Not just as a whole, but I'm talking to you individually. And I think that's what the psalmist does right here. I'm talking to you as a group, but I'm also talking to you individually. He is your keeper. He'll keep you. But he goes on. <clears throat> oh, he could be just be doing like some of us do sometimes. He could be talking to himself. <laughs> he could have a conversation. I will look out into my eyes. From which I lift up, lift up my eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He that keeps you can have this conversation. He that keeps you will not. You, you don't do that? Maybe I'm the only one that does that. My children catch me all the time. Dad, we caught you again. And I just go on. Sometimes with my hands like this, they catch me. So, 
So the psalmist could be having a conversation just with himself, encouraging himself like David did in Psalm 42 and 43. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquiet within me? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him. He's having a conversation with himself. I think these verses tell us that the Lord will not allow the foot to be moved. He says what it said. Traveling to Jerusalem, as I said, was dangerous. The area was rocky, and it didn't take much to slip. Remember, you went up to Jerusalem, and it was dangerous going up to Jerusalem. There were also wild animals that didn't mind, didn't mind snacking on human beings. One could run into thieves along the way going up to Jerusalem. Said, Lord, listen to it again. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Won't let you slip, slide. It was dangerous going up to Jerusalem. You ran into thieves, as I said. Remember what Jesus said? Certain man was going up to Jerusalem, and he fell among thieves. Fell among thieves that robbed them and left them half dead. It was dangerous. Traveling up to Jerusalem, I will look to the hills from which come my help because I need help traveling to Jerusalem. I think the drive of the text is because the Lord is your keeper. He will not allow you, listen, to be shaken. He will not allow you to be shaken. You can travel up to Jerusalem without fear. You have a helper and you have a keeper. Why? Why? Because the Lord does not slumber. It's right there in the verse. The Lord does not slumber. That is, he is not drowsy. He is not faint. He is not weary. We may grow faint and we grow drowsy, but God's eyes are open 24-7. Hallelujah. I'm glad you're here. They're open 24-7. We get tired, but not the most high. If God is awake, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If God is awake, you can go to sleep. You don't have to stay up all night. He's up. 24-7. Listen, listen to Isaiah. Isaiah has the same answer and thought for us. God says this, has thou not known? God asked the question, have you not known? Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? He said, you haven't heard it? You don't know? I don't grow weary. I'm not faint and I'm not tired. He goes on to say, He is not weary, tired, or drowsy, but he doesn't even sleep, as I said. The Lord never gets tired. We can't even imagine that. The Lord never gets tired. Can you imagine? The Lord never gets tired. The Lord never gets tired. (laughs) Never. We get tired, but not God. He's not. I got to sit down in my chair for a little bit. It's hot outside. 
drained all my energy out of me. He never gets tired. I can't even compute that in my mind. The children found me the other day on the floor under the ceiling fan. So, Daddy, what are you doing? You don't see how wet I am? <laughs> I lie down longer than I anticipated. But not God. He doesn't have to lie down. He doesn't have to kick his easy boy up or lazy boy or have the lazy man disease that I call sometimes when I just don't want to do anything. So I got the lazy man disease. God doesn't have that. It just doesn't happen. No tiredness. No weariness, no drowsiness. He's not getting in bedroom shoes. He's not pulling back blankets. He's not putting on pajamas. He's not doing any of those things. He's wide awake. And since he's wide awake, we can go to sleep. He never gets tired. Listen, a sleeping, a sleeping God cannot hear prayers. A sleeping God. A sleeping God cannot help anyone. A sleeping God. A sleeping God cannot keep anyone. He can't. Can't help. Can't keep. He's not like the God's that Elijah faced on Mount Carmel. He said, go, maybe you need to wake him up because he's asleep. Not the God of heaven and earth. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. For the eyes of the Lord, says 2 Chronicles 16, run to and fro throughout the earth 24-7. Children, don't ever forget that God sees you no matter where you are. Don't ever forget that. I don't care if you're on the other side of the world. I don't care if you're outside of the presence of parents. God sees you wherever you are. There is no building, no building that can hide anyone from the eyeballs of God. None. Adults, let us never forget that God sees you 24-7, wherever you are. Never forget it. You cannot escape. I cannot escape the eyes of the Lord, for his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he sees all of his goings. All. Let us never forget that. What's done in secret, believe it or not, is seen in secret by heaven. The eyes of the Lord are also upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. What an encouraging psalm, Psalm 34, 15. We could rejoice, and this is grounds for rejoicing. Here is encouragement, I think, for the soul. We have not only the eyes of God, but his ears as well. That's encouraging. That God sees me. You know, when you're going through a particular situation and you think, well, no one knows, no one cares about me. God sees it all. He knows my down-sitting and my uprising. He's acquainted with all of my ways. Nothing takes him 
by surprise. If we have the eyes of God and the ears of God, can I say this? That means we also have the heart of God. If we have the eyes of God and the ears of God, not only he sees us, but he hears us, we have the heart of God. We are anchored in eternity. We can deal with time. Let me see if I could put this another way. If our destiny is heaven, we can deal with what's happening on earth. You can deal with it. You can deal with it. When we are united to Jesus Christ, the one who moves all things, as one man has said, we ourselves cannot be moved. Cannot be moved. He that keeps you, he will not suffer your foot to be moved. He that keeps you shall not slumber. He won't sleep. Not only is God our helper and God our keeper, Verses 5 and 6 tells us something else. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord is also our protector. He's our helper. He's our keeper. But he's also our protector. I love it. God is the subject throughout. He says, he's my helper. He's my keeper. And now he's my protector. It's right there. The Lord is thy keeper. Sorry, he told us that. But the Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. He moves to God being our protector. He guards us and secures us. This could very well refer to God as covering us. Remember when David was running from Saul? He said these words, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I'm covered by you. I think that's the that's kind of the thought here. In the shade covering, a shade from the sun, a covering He's my shade. He goes on. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Hear the covering language. And that favorite psalm. Well, maybe favorite to some of us. To me. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the what? Shadow of the Almighty. It's a covering. It's a covering. So this may very well be a reminder to Israel or the travelers how the Lord protected them in the wilderness. A cloud by day, fire by night. They're traveling to the, through the desert. A cloud by day, we keep the hot sun off of you. Fire by night, warm you up in the cool desert at night. I think he's a protector. Not only is the Lord a protector, but he tells us something else in the psalm. Not only does he keeps me, he keeps me at daytime. Can I just put it? This is daycare. <laughs> this, is, this is real daycare right here. 
This is daycare by the Lord. The sun shall not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. Keep me from getting loony. That's where we get our word lunatic from right there. <laughs> Keeps me from losing my mind. I got a protector in the Lord. But he says something else. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. Not only is God our helper, not only is God our keeper, not only is he our protector, but he's also our preserver. Tells us right there. The Lord shall preserve thee. He closes this by announcing that God is our preserver. Notice something. He said he preserves us from all evil. That seemed to be a general statement, isn't it? The Lord preserves us from all evil. But it could be a general statement or he could just be talking about what he just mentioned. He just said, the sun, the moon, he'll keep you from slipping. There's danger going to Jerusalem. The Lord will preserve you. The Lord will preserve you. He could be amplifying what he said before. That evil means calamities, misery, troubles, injuries, distress. It probably refers to all kinds of trouble. Troubles or different sorts of trouble. We are exposed to danger on every hand. We are all the time. The enemy, the enemy, the arch enemy of our souls once said to God, no one can get to Job because you have what? Protected him. The psalmist could have this in mind. He preserved you from all evil. I can't get to Job. You have him hedged in. You've blessed everything he's done. If you just remove your hand now, I think he'll betray you. At least we can understand something about that. Everything must pass before God for approval. <laughs> Everything. It doesn't matter what's going on. doesn't matter what's going on in the United States right now. Everything has to pass before God for approval. If I'm allowed or not. Everything. We believe that or we don't? We don't. I guess we don't believe God's running the world. Maybe they're running it in the White House. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. We're in trouble. No. It has to pass before God for approval. Meaning he either has to permit it or not. <clears throat> Sometimes the Lord does not change our situation. No matter how difficult it is at times, sometimes he does not change our situation. He just changes us in the situation. Sometimes the situation doesn't need work. I need work. I need work on me. And the Lord does that sometimes. We have that example with Paul. I've been caught up with visions and revelations. I've heard so much. I've been caught up to the third heavens, and I have this thorn in the flesh. And I said to Jesus Christ at least three times, remove this from me. Let it depart from me. And he gave me an answer. But it wasn't what I was praying. It was a different answer from what I was requesting. His answer came back and said, I'm not taking anything away. I'm giving you something. No, I'm not changing the situation. I'm working on you in the situation. That's what I'm doing. 
My grace is all you need. You have everything you need because you have me. No matter the situation. You have me. Oh, we all want to be where we could get with Paul or get at that place with Paul. When we read it, sometimes if we're honest, it kind of just stirs us a little bit, kind of pinches us a little bit. Because Paul said, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, most gladly. Can you say the same thing? Be honest now. Paul said, most gladly will I rejoice, take pleasure in persecution. Who's taking pleasure in persecution? In affliction and infirmities. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because when I'm weak, I am actually strong. That's bold, y'all. That's bold. I have to say, I'm honest enough to say, Lord, help me. I can't say it like Paul yet. I want to be able to say it. I take pleasure. (sighs) Sometimes we need certain situations that will direct our eyes unto the hill from which comes our help. And God is a mastermind. In putting us in certain situations, a mastermind, so we can look to the hills. He has been moving history for his glory and shaping you, listen, along the way. You listening? He's moving history and shaping you at the same time. He's making us more like Christ. That won't end until glory. And so it has to be a shaping, a trimming, a sanding, a molding. We have to be on the potter's wheel until glory. And so the Lord's going to do whatever he has to do to make us like King Jesus. And guess what? We don't select the situation (laughs) to make us like King Jesus. Sometimes we can get ourselves in a mess. Sometimes the Lord is merciful in bailing us out. He did it with Israel. They got themselves in a mess. They cry unto the Lord. He delivers them. They go back to a mess. He delivers them. They go back to a mess. You see the mercy of God over and over again. Sometimes we view God like he's just trying to, he's out just trying to get everyone. Oh, goodness, give us. Move on, Clarence. We don't deserve some things that God allow us to go to. Who are you to say such a thing? We don't deserve such things, Lord. Who are you? Who am I to tell God what we deserve? Kept us out of hell. We want to complain. Pastor Shelton used to say, how you doing? He said, anything short of hell is mercy. (laughs) Amen, somebody. Sometimes we need situations to direct our eyes heavenward and God's been moving history for his glory and he's shaping us along the way. Think of it for a moment. Think of the ways, the ways he has preserved you through joys and sorrows, grief and delight. Think of the ways. He can't do it again. Think of the ways. How about, of those, how, how about those moments you didn't think, I don't know how I'm going to make it. You're still here. 
I don't know how I'm going to get out this situation. And he brought you out of the situation. It's what my friend Harold Rogers, who went to glory, used to say. He said, brother, if he brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. The Lord preserves our going out and our coming in. In other words, we need the Lord to preserve us all the time. Our going out and our coming in. This always, this always tells us that the Lord is not tied, listen, to one place. <laughs> the Lord is not tied to one place. He preserved my going out and my coming in, no matter where I am. He is not confined just to Israel. The passage tells us that wherever we go, God preserves. Wherever we go, in, out. God preserves us as the mountains are round about Jerusalem. So the Lord is round about his people from henceforth, even forever. He preserves us. Oh, and the encouraging word that the Lord said to Joshua, be strong. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and have a good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou, thou dismayed. Joshua was going into uncharted territories. He was going a place he had never been before. He was going into an area where there's the enemy. But Joshua had the voice of a big God. The Lord said, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Why? And this is all you need to hear. For the Lord thy God is with thee. He could just stop right there. He doesn't have to say anything else. He said, for the Lord thy God is with thee wherever you go. Whithersoever thou goest. That's when you jump up and say, I'm going. Because God said, he's with me no matter what. Moses is dead, but God is with me. I can go anywhere. I can go anywhere. My brothers and sisters, God has all power, and therefore he's able to help. Since God never sleeps, no slumber, and he knows all things, he knows what help we need. Since God preserves our going out and our coming in, he is in all places at the same time. He's a great helper. All of our life is under the security camera of heaven. He is monitoring the whole The psalmist says, the Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He preserves your coming into the world, brought you face to face with the word, with the son, worked in you faith and repentance, and he will keep you to the end. He preserves your going out and your coming Jesus says those precious words, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's just not for those 11 disciples or apostles. That's for us today. Jesus will keep us all the way to the end. 
Oh, what it is to serve the master, what it is to love Jesus Christ, what it is to be loved by Jesus Christ, what it is to be kept by him, washed by him, redeemed by him. Do you not want him if you don't have him? How would you be kept? If you don't have the master, how would you be kept? How are you going to be helped? Oh, the arm of flesh will fail you. There is a great helper in Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm so glad that the make of heaven and earth is not contained to one place, is not contained in one place. It says of Christ, to whom coming? As unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. He also, ye also, as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God only by Jesus Christ. May God in heaven strengthen us so that we, the people of God, will be able to say like the psalmist, I will lift up my eyes to the hills because that's where my help comes from. It comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And the maker of heaven and earth is also my redeemer. And therefore, I will be kept. I will be helped. I will be protected. I will be preserved. God has placed himself under that obligation. If you are his, he's going to see you home. If you are his, he's going to get you All the way is not like what some folks used to say. God has brought me from a long way. No, God will take you all the way. All the way. All the way. And since he will do that, let us rejoice that he has given us everything we need to look to the hills from which cometh our help. We can rejoice and we can love and we can praise our gracious God through Jesus Christ, by the sweetness of the Spirit, because he has helped us, preserved us, protected us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for your graciousness to us. Father, thank you that you have given us what we needed to look to you. You've given us what we needed to be cleansed before you. You've given us what we needed to be satisfied with you. Lord, help us with all the things that are going on in the world. Help us not to fret. Help us not to fear man. It's nothing but a snare. Help us to stand tall in Jesus Christ. Not so, Father, we could poke out our chests but, Father, that we could hide in the Savior, so to speak. God, help us as we magnify his name, as we seek to glorify his name, and as he is glorified in us, let us be completely satisfied with him. Now, hear our prayer. Be gracious now. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand.
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. God be with you till we meet again.